Episode 173, dated Friday the 15th of October 2010, Exploring the Sandbox. Their names are Alex Shaw and Tony Atkins. Alex and Tony from Digital Cowboys. Together they are the Digital Cowboys. Our friends, the Digital Cowboys. Digital Cowboys. Digital Cowboys. A dynamic duo of dynamite podcasters that deliver a show of divine quality each and every week. We just recorded uh, with the Digital Cowboys yes, right before this. Fun times. Two very, very swell chaps. The Digital Cowboys. Digital Cowboys. Digital Cowboys. I just recently appeared on the Digital Cowboys podcast. The Digital Cowboys. They're British. It was fun times because they're British. Yeah. Yes. And they had the sexy accents. It's true. In-depth gaming discussion. With special guests and interesting questions. That's an interesting question. This week, we're talking about sandbox games. I just finished Red Dead Redemption last week, and I'm champing at the bit to talk about it. Since we've hardly mentioned allegedly the best game of the year since its release in May, we're framing it in a discussion about sandbox games in general and their strengths and weaknesses when it comes to storytelling. Joining us this evening, we have Gary's anterior blower from Ninja Fat Pigeons Big Red Potion in the Gamer Scene. Hello, Gary. Hello. Great to be here yet again. So exploring the sandbox, this one is going to be impossible not to spoil if we want to talk about Red Dead Redemption in its entirety. So here's the breakdown. The next section will be talking about Red Dead without any major spoilers. The game mechanics, some of the plot points at the beginning, and sandbox games in general. Then we'll sign off for the week, and after the music and a warning, we'll be talking about the end game content in Red Dead, what changes, and how that made us feel. So obviously, spoiler warning for that last bit. So let's start off by defining what a sandbox game is. Uh, Either of you gentlemen want to have a go on this one? To me, sandbox is two terms. The first one is when we think of, you know, open world games versus linear games. Linear games normally we just wander up a corridor, we all know what they look like. Sandbox games are exactly what we were talking about, as in Grand Theft Auto. It's an illusion of more of a free world where you're not necessarily being pushed through a, a well, storyline is uh, sometimes secondary to what's going on in the actual world you can wander off and and just have fun um the second one is uh, it's it's so hard to describe because i i think when you talk about sandbox you're talking about creating your your own play um not being guided by a game to direct you into what you mm. should be doing so back to like the, the previous you know you are just put being pushed through a story through a corridor and getting mm. from a to b uh sandbox is purely they give you the tools mm. um be it a car or just you know rockets and blowing things up and you make the fun yourself yeah it's, a, it's so an allusion to the play we enjoyed when we were kids we were just like yeah. made stuff up and go about okay right now this car smashes into the other and Effectively, they give you a playground in each each one. I think playground would probably be a better name for it rather than sandbox. Yeah, but uh, I mean, like I say, that that goes both ways because I think you can have sandbox worlds where the developer is still pushing you through with a story, an overarching story. Yeah. And you know, it's it's not just pushed down a funnel. Um, but there's you know, there's very little room to play. So something like the recent Mafia Two game where. It's, it has a pretty much an illusion of sandbox world, but, but there's actually very little to do in it. The story is still paramount in that game. You're just pushing forward all the time, but you know, you're still driving from section to section and it, it feels slightly less linear. Where the opposite end of the, the scale and maybe GTA's not quite the same here because it, it still wants you to push for a story where I think a true sandbox would have no story whatsoever, but 
the opposite end of that is just um, you know going off onto the beaten track and, and spending an hour just literally jumping cars off bridges. Mm. Uh, the developer didn't necessarily want you to do that, but that, you know that's just something you've designed in your own head to do. I'm just when you're talking about that, I'm just thinking over the amount of play I enjoyed in uh, specifically GTA 3. I think most of us in this generation. Can, can look back on that game and gone like, that was definitely the first one when I was like, well, let's see what happens if I do this. And I think in subsequent GTA uh, installments, we were like, I know exactly what happens if I do this. So we may have played with them less that, and less. There's actually, one that does come to mind, maybe, I think it was before that, was Driver. Um, um, well, it wasn't, no, it wasn't. No, that, that, that was mission-based. You had a it, time It was mission-based, but it was, part of my sandbox thing is, Random stuff happening outside of necessary gameplay. You know, yes, you're being pushed through the whatever you could call that as a storyline in, in Driver. But it was it, <laughs> drive here. Myself, drive away know, from here. Drive here. Yeah. I mean, yeah, it, it wouldn't be as traditional maybe as something as GTA 3. But really, was that the first one that we can think of as a, a proper game? Well, GTA 1 actually did kind of because it was entirely it, the, all of the storylines were, were linked up in. Um, uh, by phone booths, but you could just avoid the phone booths and go around. Or effectively, in GTA 1, you could explore the city, but it wasn't exactly lush and, and verdant and, and, and just, you know, brimming with things to find, like GTA 3 was. But, um, you could have, effectively, let's face it, most of us just with GTA were like, oh, I can go on a killing spree. I wonder how long I can last. And that's interestingly linked in with sandbox games, is, is going on a killing spree and, and seeing how long you can last and escape from the law. I don't know why that, that black little side of us as gamers just gets brought out by the... I wonder what... Maybe just the, the, the notion of play, and because it's playing, it becomes less of a serious thing. I think you're just, you're just testing the limits of the game world when mm. you're doing things like that. Mm. I think um, the, word, the term sandbox, I think, may become very dated very quickly because I think you're seeing a whole new generation of games um, particularly with the evil Minecraft that are <laughs> sort of redefining what we mean by a sandbox game because that literally is a sandbox you can you know it has a game structure mm. but it's a game world where you can basically create and do whatever you want you know without restriction so more of a Lego box then yeah I think yeah, and, and possibly you're going to get that with um the, the, the Lego MMO, from what I understand, the persistent world there, you can actually mm. create things and those yeah, But the, the, the problem, and Minecraft is a really interesting one, because I think it's one of the, the first games that have done this really, really well and really, really big, is that they literally just give you a, well, it's a block, there's just an open world, and they give you the tools to do whatever you want in it. As general, gamers don't get so involved in that. They, they tend to like have like having goals to achieve at the end of something, you know, a purpose for being there. Where Minecraft is literally, they just give you, right, well, build something if you want. That'd be kind of nice. Mm. And, you know, that's that's not as what, you know, well, that's why some people have said, is Minecraft really a game? Can you class it as a game? Is um, it more of just a build, a toolkit? Yeah, because if you talk about a, a kid that walks into it, you know, if, into a sand pit, you know, and you don't give them any tools whatsoever and it's just a bunch of sand, they sit in there and they, they get pretty bored pretty quickly. But if you start introducing items such as buckets and spades and, mm. you know, things, uh, you know, to shovel the sand, um, it becomes that much more interesting. Now, if you give them a goal at the very end of it, although they're in a sandbox world and they can achieve that goal any way they want, it becomes that even more interesting in that case. But very few games just give you a lump of sand and say, yeah, go on then, make your own fun. That's, that's the distinction between a game and play. Um, mm. Because um, there's two words that I, I absolutely loathe when I'm reading any kind of review of a game. One is the word fun. 
Because yes. Oh yeah, you hate fun, don't fun, you? That's not Rooney, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, there is, there is, you know, fun is such an abstract concept and, and you can actually have a lot of enjoyment some, from something without it being fun at all, you know. Um, and, and the other one is that, uh, it is play. You know, if, if I, when I'm reading a review, if they talk about, I mean, the term gameplay is thrown around, I kind of accept that, but when they talk about play, I get a bit annoyed with that as well because play can be two different things. If you see a, a child play or if you see, you know, uh, animals play, you know, a dog playing with a ball or something, mm-hmm. is that a game? Probably not. I think you're right when you say that games tend to have either some form of objective or some level of competition involved. So mm-hmm. they normally have those sort of attributes to them, whereas play can just be mucking around. But then, and, but, but if you then take that into a prime example, which we will do easily, is, uh, blend it into GTA where I'm in a car and I'm just driving around and making fun up as I go along, you know, be it, well, I'm going to hit this jump um, or I'm going to try to run over pedestrians in the crudest of term. You're not, no one's giving them an objective there. You're just moving around the environment thinking, oh, well, I might do this now and I might do that now. And I think that's what some people buy and play GTA games for. I think, uh, I don't think you have to look too far really to find people who've played GTA games and, and have Maybe barely got through twenty, thirty percent of the story. They just, mm. they just like the fact there's a there is an open world they can explore and they can try to break the the dynamics of the of that world. You know, they test it to its limits. And my my wife specifically was actually when she was playing Red Dead, enchanted by the atmosphere of it, but not all that fussed about playing through the plot. She was just like riding around, skinning animals, etc. <laughs> well, yeah, I, I mean, I, before we get onto that too much, but I kind of did that as well because. Uh, you can ride the train on that, and yeah. I really have a soft spot for trains. <laughs> and and um, so I just spent hours just riding around on the train. <laughs> watching it Did you the spot the train? Uh, I don't spot trains. I like I like <laughs> railways. I, I'm not I'm not really a train nerd as such. You know, I don't go loud. Oh, look at that! But did you, you, know, you did you do the same? Did you count the rivets on it? I like. <laughs> I, like, I like railways. I like, I like engineering. So anything like that r- really appeals to me. So well, that game, I was just fascinated by how it was going to take the different routes. Well, what I was going to ask then is, did you do the same thing in GTA, getting into a taxi and just driving yes. around the environment? Um, well, GTA 3, I used to ride the subway trains everywhere. Um, again, for the same reason, really, because I just, I just, I just find that sort of thing <laughs> really interesting, the sort of engineering of it, you know. And, and like, uh, I'll spend hours playing a game just that, that involves putting down railway tracks, you know, then, for no reason. That That is actually really interesting when we talk about these more open-world experiences because that is ultimately something you wouldn't be able to get in a linear story game, uh, which is just pushing you forward and, and that's it. Because they want you to see these worlds. They, they put so much time and effort for you to go and explore it. It's strange. It's kind of... Um, it, it's op- opposite ends of what game design really is because most game, you know, most game design companies want you to experience this story, want you to experience the gameplay. Where it's, it would seem Rockstar is, is more than happy with you just experiencing the world that they've created. And you get in on the train and just sitting there for an hour wandering around looking at the world pass you by can be just as thrilling as actually playing the game in some respects. Then. In checking out what I thought... Um a sandbox game was uh, one of the games that actually surprised me but made me go, actually Zelda A Link to the Past specifically and uh, if you think about it, Ocarina of Time and GTA 3 actually share quite a lot in common uh, but A Link to the Past, basically you, you there is a straightforward quest but there's so many other things to do to actually go and get other items and things, I mean 
I, I dispute it in terms of the fact that effectively everything is about the pursuit of an item and very little is just about mucking about in uh, Link to the Past. But, um, I mean, ultimately, through mucking about, you might end up finding, finding your way through to a, a hidden item anyway. But, but then that's, that's the different level. And we've gone from purely just, just play with the, the sandbox. We've gone to just making your own entertainment. Now you've been given the tools. And we've gone now to the point where we're, we're talking about, well, they want you to experience the story, but they've given you more of an open world to maybe get on a horse, maybe get in your car and go from A mm. to B, but, you know, not necessarily just in a straight line. Mm. Because the game actually, re- comes to mind here is for me is World of Warcraft. Oh yeah, that was that, on my uh, list of possible. Certainly isn't a linear game by any stretch of the imagination, but the ability to um, play in that game—I mean, obviously you can you can do your quest—and I guess the play aspect would just be to go and kill mobs just for the sake of killing mobs. But there isn't the entertainment factor of you know driving a vehicle off a cliff. You could do that with your horse and whatnot. You can sit around in bars, but you know. This, that's still an environment you can sit around and explore, but it's it's more about just you know pushing through with a, a big overarching quest, but giving so much more room to do so. Talking about uh, sandboxes in in the literal sense, actually, Halo Forge. I mean, when you're just talking about you know breaking the boundaries of the game, Halo, the original on the uh, Xbox was one of the, the first games where everyone's like, right, let's see how far and high how high up we can get the Warthog, because of the giant expansive levels that weren't like straightforward corridors, and you could actually like like the one with the the beach raid, you could effectively drive all the way around the island. That was effectively an island you could explore at your own leisure. Uh, it just had checkpoints everywhere and and an action to be got into. But Forge is like the, the logical progression of that kind of mucking about mentality. Well, yeah, I mean, creation games now, if you look at something, what, Little Big Planet for one, but if you look at what Little Big Planet 2 is doing, they kind of give you that idea of play within a world and then say, well, okay, you, we know that you like mucking about and you, we know that you ultimately, you, you do quite often want to go at the end of it. We'll combine the two. The, the, the funny thing about that is that you have to be of a, a particular mindset to be able to get into and enjoy that. You know, I, I don't mind messing around with Forge, but I've never made a masterpiece, and the same would go with Little Big Planet, where some people mm. absolutely thrive upon that stuff. Mm. I, I think that's where, as the point I was trying to make earlier, I suppose, was, is where I think the term sandbox is going is evolving into something, something, you know, something different. A bit like the word shoot 'em up has evolved over the years, you know, what we refer to as shmups now. You know, mm. years ago a shoot 'em up was a vertical horizontal scrolling mm. um bullet dodging game, you know, but these days a, a shoot 'em up could be used to describe anything that involves bl- guns basically. Yeah. Um so I think From you'll see the same with, with sandbox. I see things like Forge and Little Bit Planet and Minecraft. They seem to me more akin to the to the sandbox metaphor than GTA is now, although at the time that was you know, cutting edge, and that, that's that's what it appeared to be. I think, you know, we need a new term for these type of games. Now. Yeah, I think I mean, ultimately it, it, defining sandbox as a genre, by the very definition of the fact that we've mentioned so many other things from different genres, I think it's yeah. more of an overarching yeah, game style than something which can be pinned down. Because I mean, John, Elder Scrolls, for example. I mean, that, that's a game where you literally can wander all over the place, but that is very clearly an RPG. Yeah, yep. I think genres are very difficult to define. I mean, I mean, um, I mean, I actually know from your your movie stuff that mm. uh, you know movie genres can be quite can be challenging as well because often what movie makers will do and game makers will do is is to challenge your preconceptions of what the genre is trying to do because mm-hmm. you tend to use genre as a means of um, 
making it easy, yeah, yeah. Of, of making it, yeah, providing or making it easy for the the watcher or the player to understand what the game is about. Mm-hmm. But then a very clever game designer and a very clever movie maker will then flip that and will switch genres or will mix in other genres in it to to create something that in itself is unique. And that's what you kind of see with with a lot of these games. There's a lot of cross fertilization of ideas and concepts. Mm. Another perfect example, basically moving on from Grand Theft Auto, kind of going back to Driver uh, and not getting out of the car, but at the same time having an open world as opposed to Driver's straightforward linear levels. Burnout Paradise, Test Drive Unlimited, is effectively a sandbox game with a car. Yeah, no, I totally agree with that. Um, what I was going to mention to you, um, and I was desperate to get it in earlier, was um, I, I'm probably guessing you guys may not have played it, but, the, but before they made Grand Theft Auto... Mm-hmm. Um, Rockstar, who were then DMA Design, made a game called Body Harvest on the N64, and it's actually it. the Body Harvest engine was what powered um, the the GTA 3 world, basically. Um, Body Harvest. Now it's it's basically it's there's a lot of fog because it's an N64 game, so you can't see very far. But basically, it's it's a planet surface which you have free roam of in either on foot or in vehicles, and it was like a kind of Open world Metroid basically is the best way of describing it, um, and it's that was the very first game that I encountered where you had this sort of concept where there was, you know, when I played it I couldn't really understand it because it had very little structure to it. You know, it wasn't like Ocarina of Time, which although is is a, a world where you can navigate from, you know, you can go from one place to another, definitely had a a narrative path that you had to follow. Mm-hmm. Whereas Body Harvest was one of these games where the world was there and then the actual story was was or, or what you had to do was very basic mm. and uh, at the time because it was the first one of those games it didn't make a lot of sense to me but over the years as we see more and more of these open world and sandbox games come along and and a lot of the less mature ones seem to follow that same structure where they throw out the world um, I mean crackdowns a prime example of this they throw out the world How and then they kind of tack on the story bits of it Mm. And it's interesting that that's the first thing they did with Body Harvest, and then obviously they then evolved that into GTA 3 and 4 and, and all the others. So why are... Is it just because of the, the fact that they started it off, uh, well, at least in the 3D sense, um, Rockstar, why are they the kings of sandbox games? Why is everything else compared to their games? I think for me, they've just been doing it longer. So they've mm. got a lot more experience at it, and... I also think that the, the GTA series is there's a lot more to it than just the, the technology. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, the, the satire in those games is is you know biting and cutting um, far beyond anything else. Mm. And actually, that's the attraction for me in those games, rather than the fact they're a sandbox. You know, I'm not I couldn't be bothered with. You know, remember in GTA Three, you used to be able to do those. Um, like, was it like a rage event or something? You used to be able to like walk into the middle of a basketball court and walk over an icon, and then you'd have to just murder people for. Yeah, and that, that sort of thing just never appealed to me. I just found that dull and boring. But the the satire, particularly in the later ones like Vice City, that has really been the thing that's drawn me in. And and the fact that it's kind of embedded in the world, so you can walk up to a burger joint and and there'll be adverts for the Heart Killer Burger and things like that. You know those those little details which are added to the world that that, that kind of base it in realism, but also base it in some other alternate universe that you can. You can either be amused by or shocked by, and I think that's what that's what I think Rockstar do very well. I'm, you know, I, I'm not, I haven't played um, a great deal of, of these sandbox games recently, but 
certainly some of the other ones I've played just don't capture that, even if they are they are technically better. For me, it's odd. I think early in Rockstar's career, it, it was all about just the, the playing sandbox. Well, because it was, it was at the time, it certainly felt new and fresh, and you know, driving a car and, and running people over was generally something new. Um, and just you know, the, just the whole play of it. And the, the greatest thing I always thought about the early Rockstar games was just putting the cheats in and spawning everything. You know, pretty much the god himself would come down, and you could you know have so much fun just messing around with the world. But mm-hmm. I never overly gelled with the stories in them. Um, I got through three, but that was somewhat of a slog towards the end. Yeah. Um, not three. I got through. Yeah, it was three. Yeah, and then. Um, San Andreas frustrated me no end with its mission structure, and I never completed that. No, nope, that made me break two light bulbs. I never got past the gang business. Light switches. A, lo- a lot of that was down to the sandbox world itself actually being so gen- honest, well, being so genuinely unpredictable that a lamppost could fall in front of your car, flip it out. And, you know, 20 minutes worth of mission has gone down the pan, and you'd be told to start again. I hated being sworn at by my gang Wait, while I was trying to shoot people. It's like, yo, shoot that motherfucker. It's like, oh, come on. And Vice City was superb in its atmosphere. Mm. So Totally to me- captured that th- the feel yeah. they were going for, yeah. feel I got from Vice City, I, I barely remember doing much of the story, but I remember driving down in my cool-looking clothes with the cool 80s soundtrack, blasting out, out my stereo in the car, and just feeling like a, a I don't know, it's just time walked back to the 80s, um, and that was superb. I don't, gen- I honestly cannot remember much about the storyline in that game at all. That was the first one, though, where they really... I mean, they, they kind of did it in GTA 3, but that was the first one where they really started to ape popular fiction mm-hmm. in the game and, and, and really build some quite, uh, you know, some, some, you know, again, deep satire around that. Mm-hmm. Um, and particularly, I mean, the, the, you know, as, as we know from some of the later games, but that one was very much, you know, Miami Vice, Colito's Way, um, uh, Scarface. You know, it was all those mm-hmm. films that came from that sort of Miami area and that sort of period, you know, the Miami Sound Machine and... Right. Immigration and all the stuff that surrounded that, you know, and they were just, they just hit the nail on the head with that. And since then, the subsequent games have, have, have really built on it. And, uh, obviously when we talk about, um, uh, Red Dead a bit more, then there's some really good, solid stuff in there that they've, they've based it on. Well, just quickly, I mean, the time I got to four, um, where they started to feel like they needed to take the storyline a lot more seriously and take the gameplay, I think, overall uh, in a new direction, a bit more fresher. Um, that's where the whole thing became a little bit muddled to me because I, I love the world. I love what 4 did. It, it was so amazing just to drive around and go to a, a back alley and see the detail they put in that back alley, which wouldn't be repeated in any other back alley through there. And it, it was just like, how have you had the money and the time to create this world? And even now, if you go back to it, it still looks phenomenal. Yet, I still found the story, I mean, I cared about the characters a lot more at the start, but then by the end of it, yeah, I was all over the place. Um, and once again, the game mechanics, although they, they'd improved the shooting, you know, shooting, you still felt like the sandbox world was hindering them still. Like, the, the cover mechanic just didn't feel right. Um, 
still the chase scenes, weird stuff could happen, and some of that is part of the fun. Some of it is, you know, you spin out of control because, you know, a, a weird, uh, maybe another car come from a junction and knocked you off. But I can only take so much of that, certainly in, if you re- retry over and over again on the mission. So, that, I mean, sound, uh, what I guess I'm trying to get to is sandbox worlds, they, they, they make you maybe feel more immersed on occasions, but at the same time, that they, they're very quick to kind of break you out of the, out of the world if some, something weird can happen. Getting down to the, the, the core of the, of the sandbox game, and now that we've all played enough of them, we can, we can get to grips with the gameplay. Um, do you personally feel genuinely free when you're playing most of these games? <laughs> I'm thinking. I mean, in comparison to other games where you're totally restricted, yes. Obviously, you're going to feel more free. My main issue is, is the fact that, you know, you know that mission in uh, GTA 4 where you had to get in a car and then drive to a place, then get, chase a guy, then go down into the subway, then chase him on the uh, moped? I started to feel like the restrictions were more significant than the freedom in that game because I couldn't change that mission in any way. I had to do exactly the sequence of, of movements in exactly the right vehicles that they put in front of me. I couldn't be clever with it or play around with it. I always had to chase that guy through the subway on the moped. But, I mean, here's a big problem with development of sandbox worlds is there has to be restrictions. I mean, a game world is something that's been designed by its very nature. It's not just a child that walks into a play pit and it can do whatever it wants. There has to be rules within the game world. So because they, they wanted you to go down there in that subway station, they knew that, well, maybe you know, you're going to try to get a truck down there and that's not going to fit. So it may just be easier just to say, right, well, we're going to have this chase down there, you're going to have a bike. It's, it becomes, I mean, that's, this is where sandbox games become really difficult to... <laughs> I'd imagine, I mean, developing from must be a chaos. If you look at just the variety of stuff you could do in, say, Just Calls to complete a mission, and that's a lot more free. So maybe, actually, maybe you are correct. Maybe GTA is a bit behind the times in that because something like Just Calls really did allow you to tackle stuff in in any way that you seem fit. They purposefully minimised the plot in that game as well. It was all just basically about giving you an island playground and less about you being forced to do things in a specific way. Some of the, my favourite missions in uh, GTA 4 were actually the assassination missions. Yeah. I think I've mentioned this before, because there was no restriction. You could literally bomb down the street in a Ferrari, and as long as you slammed into the guy as he came out of a building and he died, you were like, well done, go collect your, ca- your cash on that. I, I, a whole game like that, I would love. If that was, you basically just play a hitman killing specific people in the city in, in whatever way you feel like. I think there's a degree of freedom in them. I mean... Um, oh, of course there's a degree, but, I, uh, but like I said, yeah, I, I began to feel I, the, the, the could, shackles after a while. You could experience almost complete freedom in GTA 4 if you went into that multiplayer lobby, you know, where mm. it gives you basically free roam of the city to do with what, as you will, yeah. which you could actually do on your own. Um, but when you did it, it was mind-bogglingly tedious. It was. You always started in the same bloody place. Yeah, and even when you did it, I mean, okay, you know, I've spent maybe a couple of hours mucking around with people with trying to ram buses into each other across the bridge and stuff, but it it it, it just, because you then know that the game world isn't real, real, you're not kind of absorbed into it, it just has no value either. So for me, well, for me personally, I just didn't enjoy that at all, I just couldn't be bothered with it I'd rather play something else see so that I was interesting because I, I you'd imagine that everyone free to run around a giant virtual city would be brilliant some people get but it enjoyment wasn't. out of it others don't so I think you know 
the constraints probably help actually in ensuring that you do enjoy elements of it. The best thing we ever did with that was uh, we did a born identity uh, game where basically one person was born and they had to get to the helipad, you know, the airport, and basically get in a helicopter and fly off. Once they did, they were basically home and free, and everyone else had to, you know, find them and kill them. And that was great because you genuinely felt a sense of tension and 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 fear if you were if you were born and you were racing along the highway and you crashed you'd be like oh, oh, got to find a new car quickly. That was brilliant. And if they could actually harness that for an actual game that would be I mean, you know, another way that, that forge allows you to make your game types. You fun. need to uh, you need to license that idea because it's brilliant. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I I think when it comes to do I feel free, I do feel free if I'm not any kind of story mission. So, you know, it, it, GTA, we we'll have to keep coming back to this, but, you know, if I'm just mucking around, I do feel generally free. I feel like I can do anything. There's still rules within most of those worlds. There's still normally a punishment for, for killing people and the cops can come, but then you know, part of that's the sandbox itself. I mean, when it comes to developers wanting to tell a story, there has to be some kind of limitations of what you can do with that so they can, you know, portray that story to you in, in a reasonably-ish fashion. I mean, I, I, GTA has suffered quite badly of the way that, okay, okay, you must use this particular car and you must use this particular bike and you must go down this, this subway station. If they just said, well, do it how you feel, there's a chance that you would go, okay, well, fine, I'm just going to drive and get there, find where the, the entrance of the next yeah, subway station is, go down there, front of it. Yeah, wait for the train to come along and, and kill that person there. I mean, yeah, I mean, that sounds all great in, in, in the face of it, but to them, they kind of want you to have an experience. They want you to go down that subway. They want you to chase that train because to them. But it was a horrible experience. I had was. to keep doing it again and again and again. Couldn't, I mean, just some freedom. That's all I wanted. But I think they're trying to set up set pieces for you to kind of... Horrible set pieces. Well, yeah. And Frustrating maybe, set pieces. Maybe all the, the end. Is. Did you ever do the end bit where you've got to go through a warehouse and then get on a bike and then chase a helicopter and then get onto a onto the helicopter, then chase a speedboat, then get off the speedboat? I died so many times and screamed so many times. How is that an experience? That's a negative, miserable experience, and I've heard nothing but the same from everyone else. Yeah, I think that's the weakness. That's one of Rockstar's weaknesses, and um, and it's it's inherent in all of the GTA games, but it's not inherent in what I think of their two best games, Bully and Red Dead Redemption. Uh, okay, so we've, we've done all the negative stuff. Why do, just briefly, why do sandbox games work well, and when do they work well? I think it's, uh, again, uh, it's it's it's... It differs for different people because I know um, I'm quite uh, infamous for my hatred of, of Saints Row and Saints Row 2. I find them infantile and irritating. <laughs> um, whereas a lot of people love them. You know, they love driving a truck down the road spraying shit on things. Whereas to me, that's the epitome of boredom. You know, I just just doesn't you know doesn't find it. I don't find it funny and I don't doesn't entertain me. So I think different people want different things from these games. Um, as I said before, really, the thing for me, the, the thing I love most about video games, especially ones that are sandboxes, is if they have uh, a strong, compelling narrative in a rich, realistic-feeling world. And those are the, the two things that I would look for. Yeah, I'm pretty much the same. Uh, yeah, I think Red Dead's, the, Red Dead's at the height of their work because it gives you a narrative that you want to, to continue to follow. I, I find myself quite often with the GTA games just not really caring enough to push forward with the story and then just playing around the sandbox world and then ultimately just getting bored. Hmm. Um, 
they can, I, to me, sandbox games work really well when I play something like, um, certainly the first crackdown, when you give me uh, a co-op party to come in and we kind of make our own fun as well as killing the person eventually at the end of it. Um, but overall, I actually find them somewhat distracting. I mean, I'll get a bit more into this in the, in the Red Dead conversation, so I won't go too deep here, but I quite often actually find them quite distracting to the main uh, objective of the game, which I'm normally after. I, I find you know the actual play element that becomes quite uh, tedious after a number of hours, and I kind of just want to then focus back onto the main storyline. Um, so to me, sandbox gaming is, is nothing more than just a, a big environment for me to get around and maybe immerse myself. When they do work, they work really well at immersing yourself that you're in a city, you're in a place like the West, um, and you're not just being pushed down a corridor. Uh, but ultimately, I think I prefer my sandbox games a bit more like Halo, where you're having the freedom of driving on a warthog, and there's a big, large open area, but they, they still restrict it to you know, your game uh, an objective at the end of it, rather than just uh, mm. go off and play and, and get lost. See, for me, it's twofold. The uh, the first ever sandbox game that I properly played to death was GTA 3, and that basically epitomized everything I love about the sandbox. And ever since then, it's just been sort of little nostalgic plays around that, that harken back to it, but never really capture that first feeling of freedom. Uh, I'm not sure how any game can ever really top that first real muck about. However, the, since Vice City, it's actually been about the pursuit of atmosphere and a specifically period atmosphere 80s the 1980s completely perfectly captured in one game in in gta vice city i mean it's ridiculously stylized it's obviously localized to miami rather than you know london in the 80s which had been totally different and rubbish um but the 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 wild west in in uh, red dead in fact specifically the sunset of the wild west in in redemption it's dead it's pretty much gone that the car has come in and it's becoming industrialized and 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 every single grain of sand in red dead feels authentic and it feels interesting and you're walking around going wow that's fantastic in a way that i never did with gta 4 because i've seen regular old city streets in a contemporary setting uh, it's, it's, it just seems remarkably familiar with red dead it's a it's a rare chance to actually wander around in a place i haven't been and on that note red dead redemption Rockstar San Diego and Rockstar North based on Red Dead Revolver the Rockstar San Diego game released in the UK in 2004 originally a 2002 Capcom project which Capcom decided not to do and Rockstar bought from them uh, have either of you guys played Red Dead Revolver? No, no sorry yeah, not me I have but obviously back in 2004 so my memory may be a bit hazy yeah, yeah. Um, how did it compare with uh, all the other World West games like Gun and uh, Call of Juarez more recently and uh, all 
all the other Wild West games, like Sunset Riders, <laughs> Mad <laughs> Dog McCree. Yeah, there's actually not that many when you start digging into yeah. it. it. Possibly why Red Dead feels so special, because it's a rarely explored environment. For me, the, the ultimate Wild West game, Gunfright, from about 1984. <laughs> classic, total classic. Yeah, but, <laughs> the hell but that Custer's is. Revenge. <laughs> actually, yes. North, North and South was a really good West game. That's a great game. Yeah. But not, yeah. <laughs> so how did it compare to the real ones like Gun and uh, uh, yeah, I mean, Warrett? Because it's been so long, but I, I remember it being... It, it certainly wasn't open world. That I can remember. It's mission-based, wasn't it? Yeah, it was more mission-based, the story between... I mean, it it was fine, I think. It was just it was another PlayStation 2 game that you know, was, was a story that was pushed through a world. I don't know. It, it, I remember enjoying it, but I played Gun... Um, if you remember, I played Gun back way back. I think it was one of the launch games for 360, wasn't it? It was, but I, yeah, I played it a year ago, and I, I really points. liked that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, actually, because I actually wanted to play a um, a Wild West game because right. it just, we, we said it's a genre that's been pretty much yeah bypassed, <laughs> which is odd because it, it contains everything that you'd think a, a mm. computer game should do. It you know, it's an easy, it's a setting where you can ride around on horses, or which you know easily we can. Cars. You can shoot people with impunity. It's, it's got everything a game should have. It's, it's got the benefit of going around shooting people, riding around an open, naturally an open world environment. Um, sometimes where cities don't necessarily look like it should be so. So, um, but gun, yeah, gun was really good. I, I enjoyed that, and that was open world to a certain degree. Um, it wasn't a huge, huge open world, but there was there was certainly ride from plane to plane. But Red Dead, I remember it being a a good, reasonable game. From the looks of it, the cover mechanic uh, from the original game remains, but that's pro. I mean, is it even the same world? Does it, did did any of the characters recur? I think the the dead eyes carry over from the original. The dead eyes. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. But that's pretty much seems to be in that it. pretty much it. Yeah. See, I was under the impression when I started Red Dead because I never played Revolver that John Marston was the character in Red Dead Revolver, and all of this sort of his shady past they were talking about. I was like, wow, this is like ten years after Red Dead Revolver, and this is what happened in the previous game, and it was so fleshed out that it felt like I was actually, you know, watching the sequel to a film or something. Um, so I mean. That was fascinating when I found out that oh no no they just made that stuff up, you know on on the spot the um, that the previous game has no impact on this one. You would think that they would. I, I assume that they felt that the name and the IP still had some sort of uh, relevance, mm. and it was easier than you know, creating something new for it. But uh, from what I, what I remember, and it's still very little. It's been a long time. Um, I don't think much apart from the dead eye and maybe some of the general overtone look of the characters carried over. There's going to be a third one. Red, Revol- yeah. Redemption did so well that there's almost no way that it can't be another one. So it's 1914 now. What happens later? Okay. I mean, the, the, the West is dead. Well, I, I start thinking. Well, if it's if they're using the same sorts of inspirations, then they may be going down the, the um, Sergio Leone route. They might be going for something like um, Once Upon a Time in America, that sort of thing. So early, early gangsters. Ooh. Okay. So when did you guys start to understand how huge and detailed this world was? Can you, um, do you have a specific standout memory? Uh, pretty much as soon as you, you get on your horse for the first time when you ride over the... As you leave the, um, the little hamlet where you, you start the game, uh, you yeah. ride over a hill and all of a sudden there's this huge vista you know, sort of um, laid out before you. Um, and it just looked incredible. I thought, that's it, I'm here. This is what I've been waiting for in video games for the last 
27 years. <laughs> this is it. See, I, I was completely... T- when I first turned around and saw... I was standing on a cliff and I just saw the expanse in the canyon beneath me. And that, that I could see way down, far away to the right, there was a small um, town. And I thought, I can probably get there. In fact, no, I definitely can. And I sort of looked up and the sun was setting and I was like, I can't believe this game! It, it, it just took my breath away. Tony? Yeah, much the same as the, the moment you get off the train and, you know... You, I think you do the st- that small story mission first, but then they, they let you off the leash. And I remember thinking, oh, my God, I, I, I want to get down to this bottom of this valley, and I need to work my way down this hill and taking the, the horse really slowly down the side of this cliff. And, and just, you know, it took me probably about five minutes to work my way down this hill. And because it was a lot slower paced than um, jumping into a car and just crashing through a lamppost and jumping out and going, yeah, that's fun, mm. it, it made me feel instantly more immersed. And then by the time the sunset comes up, you're like, and you can hear the, the crickets in the grass and you know the snakes going around and thinking, okay, this is a dark place. I shouldn't probably be out here at night. And there we go, you're hooked already because you're already thinking, you know, this world here, you know, I have a feeling that I, I need to be. Out of an open environment because I'm probably going to be uh, uh, killed or eaten by a cougar or something here. You know, all that stuff eventually comes, but well, yeah, I'd so like to get eaten by a cougar. <laughs> the, the immersiveness <laughs> is pretty much impactful straight away. Yeah, I mean, it's it, I, everyone who's played it will know exactly what we're talking about, and we're just preaching to the converted at this point. If for some reason you haven't played Red Dead Redemption and this is all sounding like music to your ears, buy it. It's worth the price. Seriously, just for that first few uh, days when you're just sort of wandering around the West and you start to realise, oh, you've got all these little challenges like shoot eight eagles out of the air. Shoot eight American bald eagles out of the air. Make them a rare endangered species. (laughs) Skin ten timber wolves. And you, you start sort of, you know, looking around when you're sort of riding you're thinking is that a wolf is that a fox is that a coyote you know will it benefit me to shoot it and skin it? And uh, you start to really get hunter's eyes which I thought was really great. When did it all start feeling a bit more like Grand Theft Auto? <laughs> um, or, did, or did it? When, if at all? No, I, I, I'm just sitting here thinking that I, I don't think it ever did for me. I know um, when I started playing it, I was reading on Twitter and on various websites, you know, people were playing it complaining it was just Grand Theft Auto with horses. But for me, it never, ever felt like Grand Theft Auto. I mean, some of the mission structure kind of is similar then I don't really see how you can do that any other way. Uh, it just needs to be a, a, a kind of attribute of these type of games. But, um, I mean, I, in that game, I never stole a horse. And mm. in Grand Theft Auto, you constantly steal cars. So immediately there is a complete change in, in, in direction in that respect. You know, if you lose a horse, you just whistle and another one comes. It's, it's never a big deal. It'd be interesting if they gave you a car at the beginning of Grand Theft Auto and allowed you to buy cars and actually maybe just be a bit more honest about it. They could, maybe you could hire a car. <laughs> and there's lots of Hertz garages all around the world. Uh, a white Ford Taurus, please. Yeah. Tony, uh, did it feel like GTA for you at all? I think it's, it shares comparisons. It's, it's very hard not to, to bring that up because ultimately it's built, I would say, on a GTA engine somewhere along the line in there. Um, it shares... It's got havoc physics, yeah. Yeah, when they're a, they're a little mate. Actually, no, they are very similar to four. Um, but I mean, some of the stuff like the mini map it, it, that looks like a GTA four just ripped straight. <laughs> Basically, you get a GPS in uh, back in the Wild yeah. Wild West, but not in 1980 or 1990. Yeah, just, and the, the mission structure feels a, a tad GTA, but the, 
that's not necessarily a bad thing. When GTA is is good, it's really good. So it, it felt like to me like um, the Red Dead team just stole all the interesting bits from GTA and kind of got rid of all the chaff. Um, I mean, they, they basically took the framework. So yeah. And I've, I've seen nothing wrong with that. It's just like using a game engine. It's just like saying I'm going to use the mm. Unreal 3 engine. They just said, right, we're going to use the, the GTA 4 engine. You know, so be it. Do you remember the time when you first uh, get to do a stagecoach race? Mm-hmm. Or it might just be a pony and trap. That was when yeah. it first started feeling a bit like GTA to me. You had to race between checkpoints. And um, that was, I mean, basically, I was doing pretty well, and then my horse went slightly to the left, and he should have gone to the right, and then I couldn't back it up in time, and I lost. So I had to do it again. And then the second time, I, w- I got way out ahead, and I ended up pretty much, you know, I, w- I left everyone way behind. And then it glitched, and it flung whoever was, like, second in front of me to the finish line. I don't know how it did it, but there was like all of these dots were behind me, way behind me, and then suddenly this one blue dot jumped ahead, like way in front of me, and it went, "You lose." And like, so I've got to do it a third time. Okay, and then is, I did it a third time. We haven't talked about sandbox games that they tend to be a bit more glitchy and a, a bit smidgy, more. Yes. Yeah, I mean that's because there's so much that can happen in a game where you can't program for everything. Oh, can you imagine being a games tester on one of these games? My mm. God. Red Dead Redemption did suffer quite a few glitches before the first patches started coming out. I mean, there was all sorts of YouTube videos of people flying through the sky instead of birds. Cause it's there was like a guy riding a donkey woman I saw once. Yeah. yeah. Like a donkey's head and she put you on her back and that was scary. Stagecoaches floating in, in the sky instead of on the ground because it, it's, it's loaded up where it thinks it has. I, I, I had a couple of weird ones where uh, my horse had decided it was going to load be a, below the actual game world, but only by about, you know, two inches so its feet were below the, the ground all the time so you had a tiny pony but that, the problem was that obviously the rumble it, it was sent in it was smashing into rocks all the time so the yeah. rumble was going off non-stop and then have to quit in reloading the game and back to it maybe the stagecoaches were, were really glitchy because I had a couple of times where I was yeah. doing those rose races and suddenly the stagecoach would just come to a, a complete stop in the middle of a road almost like it hit a brick wall yeah so, Although there was a time when I suddenly couldn't get on the horse and the Y button didn't do anything. And for some reason I ended up in a situation where I couldn't, I couldn't get back to town, but at the same time I could, I could do a campfire, but I couldn't pause and I couldn't set myself to town. And it basically I had to reload the whole game and do the last level because it just, I couldn't get on a horse. Are you, are you not alright with that? If, if a game is trying to be quite ambitious in, in the world that it's it's conveying, which you know, Red Dead certainly is. Mm-hmm. Are you not okay with just the odd thing, weird thing happening for the sake of... I'm not when at the end, during that bit with the motor car, when you got to defend it, um, suddenly my, uh, when it cut to the next scene and I had to start defending it, my cat, uh, it, it went into first person view and I was stuck in place and I had to watch the whole fight going on and it went on for hours and it became sunset and everyone was still running around and eventually it was just a bunch of horses wandering about space and it was done but it didn't register that they were all dead yet and I was just sort of, I was like, well I guess I'll just reload that and do the whole riverboat bit again then, fine. So, uh, no actually, I think ultimately it's, um, I mean, it's ex- it's an acceptable loss, but I really wish that it wouldn't happen because it makes what's otherwise a really polished game look a bit janky. And you see its balls hanging out. Let's let's not forget that Red Dead Redemption is the most expensive game ever made. Is that so? Yeah, and um, it was delayed maybe three times, I think. Yeah. Uh, and there was all kinds of rumours about it being a bit of a sweatshop as they were desperately trying to get it, you know, in a, in a releasable state. Um, but they spent 
an absolute shit ton of money to make that game. And once you've played it, you can see where that money was spent mm. because they would have had to have play tested that to death. Mm. So I'm not surprised that there's a few issues still in it. You know, I, I think that's an acceptable risk, if you like, when you're creating such uh, a rich, dynamic world as they've have they created in there. Yeah. I'm not saying you're, you're wrong, Al. I, I do understand if you're to a point in a... a a part of a game where it it clearly is broken and you put you know twenty million minutes maybe an hour of your time into it mm. and it completely completely messes up that I mean that is completely frustration. It's not just the time; it's the fact that they were doing a fantastic job of making it atmospheric and then it's cold water in the face when it suddenly breaks and you're like, okay, I guess I've got to do it all again then. And then you well, get the atmospheric and it's no longer atmospheric because you aren't tense. Yeah, it's the nature of these the games, isn't it? I mean, that, that really, you're that's like a uh, a backhanded compliment, really, because, um, well, a reverse compliment, really, because what you're saying is that you were so pulled into the world that when these things happened, it pulled you out. Yeah. And there ain't there ain't, ain't that many games that actually pull you into the world no, as no. much as this game does. So that's that's a real compliment, really, the fact that the glitch made you feel that way. That there just seemed to be too much to do by the end. Did that uh, did that specifically make you just feel that you were kind of overwhelmed with it, or just that there was just too much stuff which you weren't all that interested in? I had a really odd experience with Red Dead. Um, I had tons of people around me saying, "You you should really get immersed in the world. You should go and skin animals. You should go on the, all the hunting quests." And I did all that stuff. I did that in multiplayer, and that was really quite fun. But in the actual context of the main game when I was sitting there playing it I was I was enjoying the storyline and I felt well people were telling me I, I need to experience and then maybe embrace this world a bit more than just following the beaten track and I found it pulled me out of the game to a actually to a quite a large degree I was really enjoying the storyline and, and suddenly I thought well I need to go and do some side missions and the side missions weren't overly that interesting um, and I was kind of well, I don't yeah, I want to see what happens to John Marston himself um, so I continued with the storyline a bit more and then I thought no I, I, you know, I, this world looks amazing I should go and kill some stuff I should go and you know, shoot some rodents and, and do all the little side challenges and certainly with, you know, with me and the achievements you know, there's all these points hanging around there and, and um, I think yeah I'll, I'll, I'll do this and then something clicked to me I was like I, I'm actually not enjoying just messing around in this world unlike a GTA where I do actually really enjoy just getting in a car jumping across um, um, bridges and stuff that that stuff doesn't isn't really in uh, Red Dead. I mean, you can get in a horse, you can ride around for a few hours, and but I, I honestly found shooting birds from the sky trying to just tick another one off the list. Um, some of the stranger quests were interesting, but nowhere near as compelling as what the, the main storyline was. So I ended up just saying to everyone, "Sod it! I, I'm enjoying the story. I'm I'm going to play this like it's a game." And I did that. I just I jumped on the storyline and I played oh, the story is probably what 15 hours, maybe 20 hours at most. Mm. And I completely ignored all the periphery stuff. Just didn't care about it. Um, 
and I think I was getting that feel of that all that side quest stuff in the actual multiplayer. It just felt like a, a more suitable fit there. Mm. And I think some of that was because Rockstar had done such a good job of me getting uh, inside John Marston's head. And I was thinking, well, he wouldn't really go off and do all this weird and uh, crazy shit outside of actually wanting to you know, get revenge of what he set out to do. Yeah, if he's um, concerned for his family, he wouldn't be like, oh, I wonder if I can go and skin a few dingoes. Yeah, and it... it, it it, honestly, it broke the illusion for me somewhat. And the moment I actually freed my mind and said, look, I don't actually care about this side stuff, which nine times out of ten, you know, I, I'm the worst person for chasing it, even at the, the expense of a storyline. Um, it became that much of a better game for me. And, and I know a, a number of people who've given up on Red Dead because it's like, oh, there's just too much to do. I just, I, I don't know where to start. And I will play the story. Yeah, but I'm, I've got this cycle. It's not like, just sit down and enjoy the story, because I think that's where the strength of this game is. So, and I, I know, I could probably hear Zan in the background saying, you know, that stuff maybe made the character even more impactful for him, but for me, it kind of, it, it's all just become a bit too much. Mm. Um, so I ended up just, yeah, literally throwing it away in, into one corner and, and coming back to it at a later date once I've done the storyline overall. It doesn't help that a lot of the stranger quests are a bit confusing and, and you you go to a marker and then they start talking about something that you had a conversation about 10 or 11 hours ago in terms of gameplay. Now obviously in, in, in John's world that would be somewhat more memorable, but since you, you know for you it might be weeks ago or even months, you, you're like finishing a conversation you started a different season ago and you're like, hang on, what have I got to do? There was this one bit that the controls failed me, I think. I, I met a woman with a horse and uh, I had to get the horse back to a guy and she was like okay I'll come with you and then it said press Y to jump on horse and my horse was a little bit further away I thought oh so I jump on the uh, the front of the horse and she's on like on the back and we just sort of go back together that's fine I pressed Y I yanked her off the horse and she was like no way she pulled out a shotgun and started shooting me I was like I, did that with it. I tried to get away and she shot me in the back so I turned around and just tried to shoot the shotgun out of her hand and blew her head off and then the horse went mental, so I just like, screw this horse, I'm out of here. It told me to press Y. I mean, those those are the, the kind of random encounters, aren't they? The you know, where a woman says, "Get my horse back, Mister," and all that sort of mm-hmm. stuff. I mean, I, I largely have ignored those because you didn't really get a great deal from doing them, other than the satisfaction of maybe doing it once. They were a bit like background noise, I suppose. Um, and if you if you failed at it, it didn't really matter. Um, but I, yeah, I certainly had a couple of things like that where. Um, I went to save someone and I ended up shooting the, the hostage and you know, their friends would turn on me. And, you know, that sort of thing happens because it's quite confusing sometimes mm. what you're supposed to do. I actually tend to agree with uh, with Tony on on aspects of, of what you're saying. I, I, I would say the stranger missions were 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 important to me and um, I really enjoyed doing all those. Um, and I also enjoyed doing the treasure hunts. I thought the treasure hunting was really... I did those, yeah. Yeah, it was really, really quite cool. And the strange missions, they were all, a lot of them had sort of weird twists and strange stories. And they didn't feel out of character for John Marston, really, because he, the way I felt that he was approaching it was that, um, well, actually for a lot, a lot of the game, he's actually just waiting for someone to come back to him with information. So he's just killing time, basically. He's just doing things. If he happens to be going someone's way, he'll do something. And that was the way I kind of treated it. But the the hunting and the flower picking, for want of a better word. Um, oh, he's an expert flower picker. I, uh, 
to me, there seems to be got seven thousand experience in. Yeah, there's there's a there seems to be a feature in 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 modern games. It's something that's crept in in the last sort of five or ten years, where there seems to be a need to put an element of grinding in every single game, whether it's having collectathon things where you, yeah, you know, collecting you flasks up, in in uh, yeah, yeah, you no collect, need for it. You collect MacGuffins just for the sake of collecting it and getting an mm-hmm. achievement. Or in Red Dead, really, these are these are these were these were methods of grinding towards rewards, which you could then use in the game. So there's a certain type of player, a certain type of person actually likes that. And I know, for example, um, uh, Richie, better known as uh, Major Lag, he actually did all of those kind of grindy things, like the hunting and the flower picking and all that. Before he did, the, he, he finished the story. You know, he actually would do as much as he could in one area before going to the next one, and then doing as much as he could there before he, you know, do a bit more of the story to get to the next area. That for him was what he enjoyed doing. Mm. Um, and it's one of these things again where you know some people like that, some people like the story. Yeah. I'm, I'm the same as Tony, really. I just really wanted to progress the story and do the other things. I, I'm not saying those people. I mean, I, I know there's a number of people certainly on the forums, and I remember um, to shout out for Sage and Axman who. I remember just a few days after it hit I me, mean, he had played that non-stop and he had done 100% on it. And I think by that time he'd done 90 hours and he loved it to bits, which is great. I just, I, I found this weird pressure from everyone saying, oh, you have to be so immersed in this world. And I found the storyline itself did a good enough job. And I think if more people just stayed on the story track, and as Zan said, you know, there's, there's, t- you know, downtime in, in amongst that as you're waiting for maybe night to come. And that's when I, kind of started messing around with some of the stranger missions and um but i every time i went to to do a lot of this just to me it seemed a lot of pointless stuff like exactly collecting flowers it felt so out of character to him and it felt nothing more than just a real game um, mechanic which most of the time red dead managed to get away from that i i, you know, I, I felt really invested in in his story that you know going off and, and picking flowers wasn't something that he would do and i fully intended to come back after the game Ah, you and, did intend. Yeah, I fully intended after after I'd finished the story because I'd really gone in in, in wrapped in that mm. that I would come back and do all that stuff. Um, and we'd maybe talk a bit. Yeah, yeah well there's probably a good reason why you. Did yeah, that. and there was a reason why I didn't end up. Yeah, doing it. but there's a damn good reason. Alex. I mean, yeah. th- just just to finish that the the the, the kind of collectathon stuff. That stuff, the kind of that, that element of design in the game is broken anyway, because you can't actually finish that until you're right at the end of the game, until you've got to the very last area. And um, by that time, you don't need the rewards you get for doing it. So it, it was kind of pointless, really. I mean, if some people <laughs> are saying to you, oh, you need to do it to get immersed in the game, well, not really. And, and the, the reward for doing it was nothing more than an achievement pop. You know, the actual equipment you get for doing it, the reward, you know, the, the loot for want of a better word, is pretty naff. You know, it doesn't give you a great deal. But the reason I, I, I bang on about this is that I've met so many people that have completed Red Dead and said, oh, the middle bit of Mexico drags terribly. Mm. And then you ask, well, what was their experience? And you, you find that they actually went off and done a ton of the side quest stuff before entering Mex- Mexico itself, or just got onto Mexico and thought, oh, I'm going to do all this stuff back in uh, the first starting area. And then you'll all, well, that, you've kind of at that point put maybe 20, 25 hours into this game. And then you're, you're coming into the middle section. The middle section, which really, if you just sat there and played the storyline, is about seven hours in. And to me, felt actually quite fresh. Um, and didn't drag because I was, you know, engrossed in the story and, and being pushed, pushed through a, a fair 
um, rate, um, where people tend to kind of just wandered off and done their stuff, tend to always come back and just say, oh, no, that middle section was, was actually quite dull, and I actually rather enjoyed it. Al, you haven't said a word about this yet, so... <laughs> What's What was your overall feeling then of Red Dead? Well, Mexico stalled me. I got it a bit late, uh, early June. Around about July, I just stopped playing and it was in Mexico. I think it was possibly a moment when I just got sick of being told to uh, go to a place, then to get on a carriage, to drive someone to a place, and then, oh no, we've got bandits! And then you try and escape the bandits and you shoot the bandits, and then you get to the place and they go, thank you, Senor Marston, you saved our village. And then you go... You're welcome. You take your $7 reward. And then you go back to your, your spot. And I just, it began to feel like a bit of a grind and, and, and very GTA. I was like, why? Right, okay, so I guess I've been moved over to the middle section, over the bridge, which was previously uh, blocked off. And now I've got to wait and keep doing this stuff till I get to the last section. And that, it felt the most gamey at that point. And the last section has some of the best stuff in it, so it was it was worth carrying on for. And obviously, it's got some of the most emotional stuff in it. So um, it's just that I couldn't get over that hump, and it just basically seemed like the the the, the mass of incredible detail and this incredible all encompassing world was that that I'd sort of um, effectively been overawed by. It was like um, settling down to do a job in a city that you've been now in for several. Uh, months and you're like well it's got less of a sheen on it now and um, well, nothing could be that as, as intoxicating as the first night in a strange new place um, but um, no the actual mechanics of it I thought were very sound and uh, really really love the, the, the atmosphere and um, I, very rarely did I just go that this thing is fucking broken and, and for all my complaints ultimately I mean it was never really going to be a 10 for me because of its GTA trappings but it's definitely going to be a 9 it doesn't take much of the, sh- uh, the shine off that anyway just, uh, just before we move on just one comment about the Mexico because a lot of the people who've complained about the Mexico section have complained about how the, the narrative kind of breaks down in Mexico um, where you end up working for both sides mm. of the conflict that's yeah. there. Um, the rebels and, and the, uh, the soldiers. Yeah, that's right. And um, I know a lot of people found that they felt that Marston was very out of character during that section, and that was the thing that then kind of put them off, because they felt he was going down the sort of Nico Bellic route of just becoming this homicidal maniac who seems to be really nice with everyone. Mm. Um, and I, I made a, I've made this observation to a few people now, um, but it felt to me like originally the game had divergent paths at that point, mm-hmm. um, and that some of the missions felt like was, well, you know, I'm pretty. But you could have made a choice at the end, and, and you would, you would choose which of the two to do, and then yeah. that would send you down a path. And it, and it had the feeling to me, particularly the way that the, the plot in Mexico winds up, it felt very unsatisfactory, as if it had been edited, mm. as if the, the end had been cut off. And, and it just felt to me that what they'd done is they thought, well, no, this isn't really working, or there was some, there was some obviously, you know, gameplay reason for it. So they thought, right, we're going to have to flatten this down. We'll give him the best just, of all worlds type just, scenario. Yeah, yeah, let's just get him doing the going from either side to the other, and then we've got that mission at the end. And if we end it there, that will probably be about right. And that's the feeling I got. And I can sympathise with that. I, you know, I, that was the only point in the game where I felt that the integrity of the central character was at risk. But fortunately, the way it plays out, and as you quite rightly said, once you get to the third area, that's all forgotten. But the one thing I would say about Mexico, and again, Alex as a, you know, as a movie man, would appreciate, 
the Mexico stuff, it, a lot of it pays homage to the Wild Bunch, which is mm. the greatest Western ever made. Mm-hmm. And for that reason alone, <laughs> I just thoroughly enjoyed it, even if I had this discomfort with the, with the way in which the narrative was starting to develop at that point. I think you're right about the whole originally divergent uh, paths in the game. I think the main reason why it started to sort of lag for a lot of people in that scenario was that they had done enough um, race to a different area, shoot all the guys there, crawl your way through uh, missions for them to suddenly start grinding you. And you're like, okay, you know what? I've done enough of the similar type of missions. I mean, just in this game, but also it's beginning to feel like actual things I've literally done in Liberty City. Um and and at this point, the the freedom of a sandbox game began to feel more like no, 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 no. You you are free to do this mission and this mission, and you ain't advancing jack shit unless you do. It's the the realization of the, the same old gameplay mechanics we have in open world games. Mm. Yeah, there's actually not that much variety they can put in. But saying that, you know, towards the end, they they obviously there's there's more of a emphasis to do that stuff rather than and the middle section. If it had any flaws, it just feels like. Yeah, you're you're repeating the same stuff, and the story itself in the middle. Is so maybe they should just have given you more freedom in the middle. Just gone right. Middle's just a muck about section. You can uh, you know support or crush one side or the other, or you know stand them both out. That would have been better, I think. The majority of the stranger missions are in that middle section, so I think possibly there was no aiming for that. It's just the fact that the the narrative goes slightly off kilter there. But I would rather a game had a weak middle but have a really strong end Mm. the biggest criticism I have in this generation actually is the fact that nobody seems to be able to end a game the endings of of games particularly over the past four or five years some of them have been so feeble and weak Um, I mean I think back to last year uh, slightly off topic but Uncharted 2 was such a fantastic game and had such a terrible ending. <laughs> it had a terrible ending, boss, but I really like the ending for Uncharted well, 2. Yeah, I, well, it just seemed to didn't know how to end. It was a kind of Tolkien ending where it was like one ending and then another ending. And Oh, well, yeah, um, yeah, Red Dead wasn't one ending well, we'll and then another ending, so yeah. Just, yeah, we're going to get onto that. We're, we're, yeah, we'll get onto that, exactly. But with, with Uncharted, it was like each ending was weaker than the previous one. Mm. Which I don't think. Well, okay, maybe you could level that right then. But, but um, mm. there's there are a lot of spoilers differences. Yeah, in the ending of Red Dead, and I actually felt that what I consider to be the ending of Red Dead Redemption was one of the most poignant moments I've had in in a video game in a very long time. We'll get to that in just a bit. I, I think it's yes. actually strange when we we talk about stories because I generally look at stories and you know you have an introduction to a world, an introduction to characters, and this isn't you know within films, books, whatever. Um, the middle bit tends to be a bit more heavier. It, it's to make that you know when you actually do get to experience the end of whatever media you're consuming it to have that much more of an impact because you've spent that much more time with characters and that's what normally the middle section is for it's just to give you a little bit more time to, to kind of draw from experiences with that character rather than and games do this terribly where it's just you start off and it's bang 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 and then the end and Pete, you know, peters out yeah, yeah there's mean, there's too much going on right at the start and then just peters at the end i think red dead i kind of respected it to to slow itself down and make me spend a bit more time in master himself just like other media does yeah well, most movies have a three-act structure yes yeah, exactly. uh, yeah um and um for that reason well it's not true but you know you can often see a film and walk away satisfied with the conclusion no matter whether you thought the film was any good or not yeah um 
you find with TV shows, actually, America, particularly American shows, the TV shows are, are very bad at this. And as you say, they'll start off with big bang blasts and guts, and, and, and you know, and all the interest is in the first yep. three before to establish the series to, to get the ratings. And then it just gets progressively weaker and weaker and weaker. And weaker. You think it's like Heroes, which started off so well mm. and ended up being an abomination. And it, and it seems, I hated Heroes when I first saw it. So yeah, well, doesn't yeah, get okay. better then. But even things like Twenty Four, any of those series of Twenty Four, the first sort of half dozen episodes of Twenty Four are always really good, really cracking, well written, you know, good structure. And as they go on, they get weaker and weaker and weaker and weaker. And, you, and video games tend to suffer from that because so few of them have a three act structure. They have this kind of mm-hmm. ten chapters, or whatever it is, you know, and that's when it starts to fall apart because they start to they put cram so much into the first few that they then start to run out of ideas and there's very few games that actually finish in a conclusive and well-rounded way. I'd say that's mainly down to the fact that the first part of any story will evolve what's happening rapidly and give you something new. The second part is basically to maintain and maybe move it towards the end. And the end is to resolve. The problem comes when, in, in the case of TV shows, they have to move it forwards without really changing too much because they have to keep certain elements of the status quo. Yeah, they go for late. They can't go, right, we can't just kill this character because we need them and we're paying them. It's not yeah. like that. Um, stringing it out. They're trying to make, like, thinking video games, they're trying to make a 10-hour game. So they artificially give you more of what you've already seen. And effectively, the rinse-repeat cycle outstays its welcome in a lot of cases, especially video games, because they've paid... For for all this stuff to be able to take place and they're like well we want to give people value for money and, but maybe that's where Red Dead falls down a bit because it's got all the periphery stuff where you can extend the life of that game go and collect stuff go shoot stuff go skin stuff all that stuff is there I mean the story let's say it clocked in at 15 hours I think you know if you cut the middle bit down a bit um, and brought that story in maybe at 10 hours I think it would have been a better game but you know that's that's it, you've always got people that wanting to tell their tale. It, it's very hard to you know to cut stuff out. I think you always hear that. Okay, so briefly, how could the sandbox genre be progressed? Bloody <laughs> <Yeah>. hell! <laughs> I mean, if you look at the best leap so far, the graphics have improved since obviously GTA. Well, start as a leaping off point, say GTA Three. Graphics have improved, sound has improved, the Havoc engine and things like that have basically made things a lot more realistic and now people walk a lot better. Um, GPS was one of my favourite things they added to GTA 4 because it was like, wow, I just need to go here. It added a lot less of having to memorise a whole city. Yeah, yeah, Saints Row did it. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, there's lots of things to like about Saints Row other than the content of it, really. Yeah. Um, (laughs) I mean, are you talking mechanically or are you talking bigger? Either. Well, I think ATB has proved that uh, making an MMO is probably not the best idea. APB. APB, big pardon, yeah. Um, I can only think, well, I would just like to see them maybe tackle some other um, uh, genres. You know, so we've had westerns, we've had, we've had too many gangster things now. Um, it'd be interesting to see them tackle something different. Sick of crime. Um, See, yeah, yeah, it's true, isn't it? They're I would say it would be I great mean, if we could finally play a cop, but uh, what was that one? True Crime, Streets of LA, and, and the uh, yeah, the other one. So well. nope. no, I mean, Bully was, very, Bully was very interesting, because that was a completely different take. Hmm. Um, and I, I actually think Bully was excellent, and it's interesting that a lot of the people who were... One of, we're talking about the narrative structure. Um, you can tell that the Bully team made Red Dead Redemption, because a lot of the, the narrative structure of Bully has been carried over into this, and the fact that the central character is so strong. 
because you know it wasn't bully as well. How have we not forgotten forgotten to mention this? Could we call Assassin's Creed a sandbox game? Totally. Yeah. 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 A, a massive immersive city, really capturing an age. I'm, in all seriousness, I'm just really excited about the idea of exploring other time zones and other cities. I'd love to have a feudal Japan well, sandbox they, game. Haven't they done Yakuza. that one? Yeah. Yakuza, yeah. Hang on. We, we never got it. What? When's Yakuza set? Well, three of them are set in modern times, but one is set in feudal Japan. Yeah. Nice. Um, I should check that out then. Cause it, well, hang on, is that on PS2? No, it came out in pit. That's one came out on PS3, didn't it? That's, no, I think it was... Well, you need to ask Paul Rooney, but I'm pretty sure that's a PS2 <laughs> okay, right. game. I, w- I would like a, a current-gen... I'm not going to say next-gen. That's ridiculous. <laughs> current-gen um, a, a feudal Japan to explore. Imagine a Tenchu, because I really love that series, which, or the first one, at least. Uh, imagine a Tenchu sandbox game. Okay, I can see I that. I mean, that's a bit like Assassin's Creed, but yeah. Basically, yeah. And I was hoping Assassin's Creed 3 would be all about feudal Japan, or they, they were talking about the French Revolution and stuff like that, and it's like, nope, you get to play as Ezio again. Really? I mean, it might be quite... I mean, a lot of these games tend to be based on, you know, uh, movie cliches and, and kind of music movie genres. So one of the things we haven't really had is kind of swords and sandals one which might be quite interesting you know something set in ancient Rome or something like that someone already on the forums asked for a gladiator game but they, they just wanted one where it was all about yeah. and working your way up from a slave to a, a king gladiator but then you've got something like Destiny, Destiny Warriors or something like that really. Dynasty Warriors Dynasty Warriors <laughs> yeah. well that's, that's rubbish that's, well exactly, yeah, yeah. Yeah, kind of Bladestorm was, was pretty good, and that was set in like a fictional uh, Hundred Years' War. That was quite good. But there hasn't really been any kind of, you know, these games are successful when they, they're pastiches of, of movies we know. So you think of things, you've got things like Ben-Hur, you've got Gladiator, you've got Quo Vados, you've got all those all those kind of swords and sandal epics, you know, Spartacus, that you could draw on. I think you could actually make a cracking swords and sandals game. And that's really, you know, for me, where they're successful, when they, they draw on preconceptions in popular culture and then go to town with it and do different things with it. And basically what they did with Red Dead, they took some classic spaghetti movies and, and Sam Packenpower films and they kind of merged them into one one thing, which was awesome as far as I'm concerned. I forgot Far Cry 2 as well. Main issue with that was that uh, when you were driving around, you, all you saw was militia and it was like this entire country was peopled only by checkpoints with militia in them and people in jeeps. Uh, there was no sense that there was anything really at stake. It was just a war-torn, horrible place. And uh, it wasn't a living, breathing place. Imagine if there'd been lions and things wandering around there. I mean, were there? Were there any kind of fauna? I, I never played it. It no. didn't really appeal to me. But, um, prob- well, it should have been. I mean, it's set in... Um, was it set in Southern Africa or Central Africa? I wasn't I'm not sure. It was set in Africa. Uh, well, okay, typical. Right. <laughs> Africa's a big place. <laughs> but how about uh, a uh, sandbox game not for kids that you don't have to kill people in? I know it sounds crazy, but a sandbox game where it's all about exploration. I mentioned this one to you, Tony. Um, how about a Winnie the Pooh sandbox game made by Rockstar, where basically you've got the Hundred Acre Wood to explore, and you go and meet all of your of Winnie the Pooh's friends, and they go, "Oh, Pooh, you got to help me pick all the carrots in my patch." Obviously, that is very much for kids, but maybe advance that and do something else for for adults, where it's mainly about exploration and less about 
murdering things. Rockstar, Disney, the pairing no one would ever expect. But um, moving it forward, I don't, I don't know beyond beyond what we got now because really, if you if you look at GTA Three and GTA Four, you know, a, a good long time apart. There's not a million miles away from each other, and well, even we Red said, Dead. The big, the big review we did of GTA 4 that basically it feels like the original GTA 3, but you know, smoother, yeah, better, better engine, but mm. effectively the same city. But where we've been talking about earlier, I, I think blending of sandbox games has happened without us even realizing mm. that. You know, the the definition of that has has maybe completely gone. I think if you the just, fact that we're pulling all of these out of midair and going, oh, how could we forget yeah. this one? Um, I, th- I think what we traditionally think Fable, for God's sake. I mean, that's that. There's plot in that, and that the whole idea of the breadcrumb trail implies that there's a whole playland for you to go out there and, and, and do stuff in, or just stick to the breadcrumb trail. That was a great idea. Yep, but that's still a developer saying, look, ultimately we want you to enjoy the story. And mm. but if you want to go and do that stuff, there's your freedom to do it because here's the breadcrumb trail straight back to the story that we actually want you to play with. Mm. So let's sign off, and then after the music, there will be end of Red Dead Redemption spoilers. Now, this is not the first time this week that I've been on a podcast with Gary. This Tuesday gone, we recorded with Neil Taylor of Game Burst, who, by the way, are the new members of the Unified Gamers Network, which we are also proud members of. The first in a series of six podcasts, each covering one movie from the Star Wars saga. The first was The Phantom Menace, and I think it's safe to say that despite the kicking that film has received over the years, we still managed to tear it a new arsehole. Gary, did you have fun? I, I had uh, an incredible amount of fun recording the show. I had no fun whatsoever. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry, it's a necessary evil. <laughs> I know, research. But, uh, I haven't laughed as much in uh, a long time, actually. Some of your your little witticisms have me wetting myself with laughter, and I was on mute for long stretches of it for that reason. <laughs> oh, thank you. I, I, see, I, I, I can never tell. If, if, tell you what, unmute yourself next time. That way... People get the, uh, the the laughter feedback because that's why I had you on. I wanted a little audience. <laughs> yeah, well, I think you can hear me and Neil sniggering quite a few times. Mm. But uh, yeah, yeah, it was it was great fun to do because that bloody film is just so easy to rip into. <laughs> and you were the one who was trying to go easy on it. <sighs> I was yeah, I was trying to play devil's advocate really, but yeah, I don't think you can. I think that should be consigned to the dustbin of history. Gary, are you back on next week's show for Attack of the Clones? I have the disc ready. (laughs) (laughs) What are you doing Uh, to yourself? (laughs) I've got four days off work, so... You'll need that to recover. uh, It will be watched, yeah. And uh, I I also had a quick bash on um, Force Unleashed 2, which uh, if you listen to the Gonzo Gaming, you'll know that I wasn't a fan of the first one. Mm -hmm. And a little bit more of my Star Wars nostalgia has now disappeared forever. Oh, God. Right, okay. Uh, if you listeners out there would like to hear that episode, get yourself over to iTunes, search for Gonzo Gaming, which is the feed I publish my audio articles on, and download that episode right now. That's all from us this week. Gary and I will be back on Wednesday for more Star Wars, and Tony and I will be back next Friday for more video games chat. Remember, Red Dead spoilers after this music, and we'll be talking about the end of the game. We'll see you soon. I've been Alex Shaw. I've been Tony Atkins. Happy trails! Oh, bury me not on the lone prairie Where the coyotes wail and the wind blows free And when I die, don't bury me Neath the western sky
on the lone prairie. Oh, bury me not on the lone prairie. These words came soft and painfully from the pallid lips of a youth who lay on his dying bed at the break of day. Okay, spoiler warning. Right, let's call this one ending one, Dutch dies. So he throws himself off the cliff and uh, tells you that they're going to find another monster to justify their paychecks. I think that was a, well, that was the start of a, a series of knock-on poignant moments for me. Well, the, the fact that he kills himself... Uh, effectively, is a is a is a is a major point because you know generally in games the payoff is that you know you 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 reach your nemesis you have some kind of normally pretty lame boss battle where he can absorb ten times more bullets than everyone else yes uh, and then some sort of weak sort of you know uh, moment of possibly it goes either one of two ways there's either like a moment of Darth Vader like stole forgiveness or there's you know you know, the evil is dead, long live the king kind of thing. Mm. But this was very different because you got there and he just, you know, he kind of just says, right, I'm, gonna take my own, I'm not going to give you the satisfaction. I'm going to take my own life. I, I, I never noticed that in Red Dead. Um, but now that I think about it, there was no situation where I was shooting a guy in the face over and over again. And it was like, yeah, well, his, uh, his energy bar is only creeping down very, very slowly. It's like, come on, he shouldn't have a head at this point. Um, so yeah, it was very good in from that respect. I mean, I remember there was quite a lot of chip damage going on, but it was from a great distance. That, that was an odd scene as well because you, you kind of emphasize a little bit, emphasize, empathize, empathize, empathize with the character a little bit. Although you know he, he's clearly a, a pretty nasty guy, I, I think you know he, he still saw Dutch somewhat of a father figure. So the fact that you know he, he takes his own life is actually that much more powerful because I mean he hasn't had to do it and. Seen him at the bottom there. Yeah, it's it's well, it, it's the start of mon- one of many endings. But uh, yeah, I, I yeah, it was quite powerful. But I didn't know that. I was basically at the. It was uh, it was a late night, and I was thinking, right. So what else have I got left? And I I got on my horse and I, I rode home, and then that song plays, and you're like, wow, this is great. I'm just going to reach home, and it's going to give me an end sequence, and then I might I might be. It might do this whole whole you know Grand Theft Auto thing and say, hey, you can now explore the world, and this is your new home base. But more happens. Ugh. Right. First off, Elmo said this. He hates Abigail Marston because she's a ruddy-faced, foul-mouthed old hoe. And, she, and basically, she, the first thing she does is hit you and then make you feel guilty. And you've been working your whole way through this game to get her and, and your boys safe. And you're like, I come home to this? Not even, how was your day, honey? And I was like, oh, God. And that deflated me quite a bit. And then Jack turns up and he's all sort of like meek and, and a bit stupid. And then Uncle turns up and he's he's kind of, you know, spiky and ornery. And I was like, I don't want to hang around with these people. But that's exactly what you get forced to do. So, yeah, there's life on a farm. And I was like, this is the most ennoble end because... I, I was thinking, am I just going to have to carry on doing this for the rest of, you know, for you know, round after round of rounding up cattle and driving them across the land and ranching horses? And I thought, you know, this is, 
this is what happens at the end of a movie, but you don't get to actually sit there and trudge through this miserable fucking existence. No, this, this is their life. This is, I mean, mundane as it may be, it's not quite as action-packed as, as shooting people from the back of horses. Mm. But he's, he's been trying to leave that life behind him. So coming back onto the farm, I found it a really odd decision, and I still don't entirely understand why they do it. Maybe Zan can explain it. But like you say, I, I really took a dislike to my wife. Yeah. Um, I wanted to throw her in front of a trap. And they, that's obviously on purpose. I mean, there's a great scene amongst that where you, you and your wife go and see Bonnie. Uh, Bonnie. Yeah, and she's like, and "What's she like? What's she like? fucking hoe?" But and you're, you're looking at the characteristics, and you think Bonnie's so nice. You know, she's such a homely girl that you know I want to be on her ranch, and I don't want to be with my wife. And and it's a real odd um, conversation you're having with your wife in that scene. Mm. You kind of come back, and she's like, "You know, well, you're not seeing her, are you?" And, and you're like, "Well, I should be." Yeah. I should leave all this stuff because ultimately she seems to be the woman that understands me for who I am. And again, I felt very constricted at this point. I was like, I felt the shackles of the freedom just, you know, closing around me. I was like, right, now you're married to this mare for the rest of your life. Ugh. And, and yeah, I, I, I did genuinely feel, you know, Bonnie would have been much better. And it wasn't because she was like more ladylike or anything or, or prettier. She was just pleasant. And I found a pleasant company for the whole of the game whenever you spent time with her. And it's like, it feels like a kick in the teeth to end up with this 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 shrewish sow of a woman. Well, there's a, there's a chemistry between you and Bonnie as well. She, mm. she clearly has um, feelings for you, and you have feelings for her. But, you know, at that point, he's such a noble man that, well, noble-ish in, in the way that, that you can be in these kind of games with shooting people. But, you know, he feels such a, a man of morals that he's not going to go off and do it. And you're thinking when he gets home, his wife must be amazing. <laughs> um yeah. Zan, did you yeah. find her to be yeah. a wonderful person? <laughs> um, not at all, but then you're not supposed to. Um, I mean, it's, it's a bit of a cliche in Westerns, you know, going back to the kind of, uh, John Wayne era where, you know, the, the utopia that the, the reformed gunslinger or the reformed, you know, sort of, uh, army captain wants to go back to is, is a wife that constantly nags and hates him and hates him for the, you know, for the life he's had and the, the life he's trying to escape from, and um, you know the, the, this utopia that he's pursuing is doesn't exist. Well, it, it doesn't exist for him. It's utopia. You see, compared to the life he's led, that's exactly what he wants. But the fact is that you know, as in real life, there is no such thing as utopia, and, and everything's made up of compromise. And so you, you get your, you get the chance basically to play out the life that he's been wanting to lead, and and and. You know what you take from it is is either you you kind of look at it and say okay this is this is what he's happy with and and, and this is what I'm going to go along with or you look at it and say well you know why didn't he jump into bed with with um, um, what's her name again Bonnie uh, Bonnie yeah oh I just found irritating actually I thought found she Bonnie was, irritating yeah she just seemed to be sort of sappy and and doughy eyed. Does she could take care of herself. Yeah. Yeah, just, yeah I suppose so, but she, I don't know. She kept that ranch going when her pa was away. See, the thing this does basically is to say, look, there are no happy endings, especially not in the West. There's just middles and then sad endings. It's, uh, it, it's, effectively the sun could have set on it at that point. It was like, that's the happy ending. But that wouldn't be the truth of what would actually happen at that stage. And that I actually have huge respect for Rockstar for doing that. I do understand totally why they did it. It's, um, it's a hard, hard life that John's leading. Yeah. Effectively, the things he's done in his past won't go away. It's you, going to catch up with him at some point, and he's fooling himself if he thinks that he can basically live his life as a rancher. 
you need that ranch section. I mean, when you're playing it, I must admit, I had the same sort of um, feelings that you did. I was thinking, well, this is a bit weird. I mean, how long am I going to have to do this for? Uh, you know, how's this going to how's this going to end? And actually, I was asking myself that question because I was thought thinking back to you know, because I, I, you know, I'm a huge fan of the, the Western genre. And I was thinking about thinking, this is going to end end horribly. <laughs> this is going to end horribly because mm. westerns always do, you know. Um, but yeah, you, you need that. If you didn't have that, then the impact of the actual ending would be nowhere near as dramatic. Mm. I don't think. When the uh, cat, when you were herding the cows the second time, and then the train cut in front of them, and they stampeded towards it. And then the the uh, bandits were trying to take out the train. Did you go to stop the bandits, or did you try to cut off the cows? I just cows. Sorry. Yeah, same here, cows. I went straight for the bandits. I was like, "Fuck this life! Let the cows die! I want to go and kill bandits. I want to be the sheriff for God's sake." At this point, I was like, "You know, this is what I should be doing. This is what John should be doing for a living. He should be a marshal, and it's the only way he can really effectively escape from his past if he's a, if he's." A, just constantly fighting against the darker criminal element of the West to try to stamp out the last vestiges of crime, which is ironic since basically at that point, coming up to what early 20s of the uh, 20th century, crime was about to fucking explode in America. So and that's that's the ending I would have wanted for, for Marston, for him to basically take the job of Marshall. Um, so I was pursuing that with every all of my might. And then you don't get that. You get ending two. The assassination of John Marston by the coward Edgar Ross. It's almost predictable when it finally happens. Your your, your ranch gets uh, put under siege by a bunch of uh, U.S. cavalry, and you hold him off as long as you can, and then you get that bit in the barn. And, uh, yeah, absolutely poignant, totally deserved and warranted for the character, and it, it, was, a, it was a noble end, and it was a sacrifice, and, you know, fantastic denouement to the, somebody you've been with for a long time and actually care about and somebody who didn't turn into an asshole like Nico Bellic did mm-hmm. what was your your thought at the uh, the moment of death I was thinking if I'd if I'd concentrated more I could have put one between fucking Ross's eyes yeah, he was me, in that me, crowd me too I was thinking yeah. I want to take that fucker with me <laughs> and I was yeah. trying desperately to shoot him because you do have some degree of control over it at that point yeah it was a Butch and Sundance ending. It was the ending. Or, or, or Wild Bunch as well, because they yeah, were in a massive machine gun fight. But yeah. Spoiler warning. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> it's only 40 years old. <laughs> More than that, but yeah. But up until I actually got into that barn bit, I still felt like, you know, this is just, you know, a really big, grand ending where I, you know, I can take these guys down. It's going to be a, a real slog and there's going to be hundreds of them, but I can do it. But the moment you, you enter that barn, uh, and just the dialogue, the way he tells everyone to go, you know, keep on running. Mm. You just, yeah, you know at that. And I find it, it, it's, it's actually really weird, and games suffer from this all the time, is he, he walks out there to be shot. Mm. And yeah, it's almost like a decision that he makes. Yet, throughout the game, you've been in situations that are a hell of a lot worse than that. Mm. When I, you know, killing some, a whole fort in Mexico, was a bigger task than you know, taking the few guys out, outside of you. Effectively, uh, you could have used the barn as a as a way of, of, of yeah. holding siege with the, with the, most of those guys. You take out Ross, then they're without guidance, and they've you know you take out the captains, and then effectively you just clean mopping up, and you you know you become a wanted man. But effectively, it's a life you can still keep going with. Yeah, but so he's like, no, you know what? Enough. Yeah, uh, so I respect that about him. Yeah, so we suffer a little bit from that, but yeah, from the moment that you you see him walk towards those, those doors, you okay? I yeah, he's he's going out there to to you know 
ultimately finish this and finish it for his family, which is a really odd case because ultimately you've grown not to necessarily like his family because they seem to be, you know, not particularly nice people. Um, well, it's his decision to do it, yeah, exactly, for his family, because he, he realises that even if he does beat this one, he can't stay with his family ever again. So, effectively, he's going to be cut off from them anyway. And that's that was the thing that he had put his stock in, and he decided to spend the rest of his life doing. He realises he can't do that. He's like, ah, oh, fuck it. Well, they, also, he knows that they would just use them to coerce him into doing things again yep. you know they're, they're never going to be left alone all the while he's alive so I, he has to make the ultimate sacrifice basically well ultimately there is no redemption I think he, that was his redemption you know the, the, that final bit where he's you know he, he's back on the ranch and he's you know the, and, and the, at the point at which he realises that he can't carry on that, that is his redemption because don't forget he was a you know he was a a murdering mm-hmm. um, outlaw for, for many many years and, and throughout the game actually he's at points, he, he is wrapped with guilt about it. Um, so, I, you know, for me, that felt like the ultimate redemption for, for someone of that time. And then there's the even more unexpected post-epilogue game epilogue. So John dies, and then Abigail mercifully dies not long after, and you're left with Jack, who didn't really ingratiate himself uh, on us much, and then does his absolute best to make us think he's a total wanker within just a space of a few minutes. Um, what did you guys feel about the end game, let's call it? The, the, the suddenly, you are free to explore the world and do all those stranger missions as Jack Marston. In all honesty, I think they chickened out. I think they, um, I think the game for me ended when John Marston died. Yeah. But they... They were afraid people would be like, I wanted to do the rest of the game, you stopped me doing it! Ah!" Well, there's two things. First of all, there'll be a load of people who will say that I couldn't get the achievements because I couldn't carry on afterwards like Mm. they've done with Fallout and various other games. And um, and I think that's probably the primary reason for doing it. So really that that final bit where, you know... um, he basically goes looking for uh, to get revenge is is really just a a Lucas esque MacGuffin to allow you to then carry on exploring the world so you can get the rest of the achievements. Okay, so but did they make him like, a complete asshole on purpose? Well, that I can't explain because <laughs> he, he wasn't uh, a complete asshole when he was uh, sixteen. Emo, isn't he? I just don't get it, really. He's mean to his horse! He's like, get on, you useless critter! And he's like, you know, basically, John has been like, yeah, the whole time, but he never insulted and showed, you know, for, you know, constant frustration with his horse like Jack does. And that's a big thing. To me, and whether it works or not is a different thing, but it, it felt like they went that route to say, look, you know, this, this world is a pretty shitty place, you know, and ultimately, as, as much as John's given his life, you know, the ultimate sacrifice that he can do for the redemption of his family. I mean, his wife then dies pretty soon after. But his son then has had to deal with the fact that his dad was a murderer and that, you know, ultimately he de- he's died, his mum's died. Who knows, he's been brought up in care and, and whatnot. And that the world then just kind of... Oh, no, no, him. his mum only just died at that okay. point. Well, then the world still kind of grabs him and still turns him into the person that his father still didn't, didn't want to actually happen. But... Ultimately, there is still no redemption here. That you know, the world will just drag him back in. That there is no escape from uh, the life of the West. And 
I, I had a really, I mean, I, first of all, I had to tell you how, that, okay, that wasn't, because you're going, where the hell's the credits? And I'm like, no, you've got to do this. this yeah, because I was doing it for my 50 games. I was like, come on, I need the credits. So they don't actually flag that up very well. It just, it shows up as another strange mission that you need to go off and, and see the second ending. And, you know, that ending is you, you finally, as your son, go off and, and kill the sheriff himself. Edgar Ross, Edgar the, Ross. Uh, the uh, federal agent. Not yeah, which, sure. you, know, you know what, I... I'm probably fine about it. It did feel like just a mechanic to make, you know, to let you continue on the game, but, you know. Again, would have been fine if Jack Marston had been a nice guy. Yeah, back to my point earlier where I said, so I was concentrating on the story and then I would come back into this game world and mop up all the extra stuff, you know, and, and just enjoy the environment. Little did I know that I would be playing an arsehole. Um, and that's ultimately what he is he he turns out to be a a reprehensible character that I just couldn't for all the love that I gave uh, Marston and I really did get involved in him as a character Mm. his son was the complete opposite of everything he was and it was game breaking I don't know why they did it because ultimately you're doing these strange maybe just to underline how good John is they're like yeah see we could have made him like this but it's it's odd because I'm doing all these stranger missions and I'm doing it instead of John's dialogue which I think would actually be really interesting I'm doing it with his son's dialogue where he's actually he's still saying the same words but he's doing it in like an uh, an, he's got an attitude behind everything Mm. and like I say he's cruel to his horse he, he generally just, he's Peter Parker in Spider-Man 3 after he's got the black costume. He's just like, oh, fuck off. I don't so, even want to know about this guy. So even though I was doing meaningful tasks that weren't, you know, shouldn't, I shouldn't really have cared about, I just, I ended up hating that character so much that I couldn't then go on and complete the rest of the game. Mm-hmm. Couldn't do all the side quests. And I, I, sure, I could have jumped back and, and maybe loaded up an earlier save, but which, but which point I was like, well, you know, I, 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 I feel like, Rockstar have shot themselves in the foot here. You know, they they wanted me obviously to then continue on and, and play this character, yeah. but I I can't get it in their mind and work out why because ultimately I'm now playing a character I can't uh, gel with, and it's the same problem I had with you know you know the later sections of GTA 4 where Nico Bellic just turned into being a bit of a you know a shit. Yeah, I could have taken the the ending and the whole sense of no real redemption for, for uh, John in in terms of him not being able to keep his son from a life of that he was is leading and this sort of darkness enveloping him. But if he, if Jack had been positive and if Jack had been a stand up guy and a little bit of a gentleman and uh, you know at least kind to his horse, then I'd have been like, well, that's that's sad for John and the cycle will continue, but. Hey, you know, you gotta love Han Solo. Um, but no, he's, he's Anakin. <laughs> Fuck this guy. Yeah, I think that's a good point to finish on. That's exactly what he is. <laughs> well, I should be all powerful. Ah, kid, grow up and let your hormones not control every single one of your actions. Anyway, more on that in the Star Wars podcast. <laughs> okay. Anything else? Only, oh, only- there was one awesome bit. <laughs> there was one awesome bit. This isn't a spoiler at all, but, um, I was just waiting around for 10 o'clock in the morning so that I could go and talk to the uh, agents. Uh, I was in uh, Blackwater. And um, this guy stole a horse. And the guy was like, oh, go catch the horse thief. And I ran out, I ran after him and then jumped on my horse and galloped after him. He shot at me. I was just going to try and get him off the horse, but he shot at me. So I shot at him, disarmed him. Um, and he fell off the horse. But then he got up and carried on running. And the horse ran off. And it went, the horse has gotten away. You failed. And I was like, Right. So I lassoed him. He was down on the ground. I was like, "Why? Well, what do I do to this guy? And I couldn't take him back and hand him in. And I couldn't, well, I could have let him go, but just it was just, just an NPC. And then there was the distant sound of a train. 
And then I noticed to my left that the train tracks were right there. And I just sort of looked at him, looked at the tracks, picked him up, walked him over to the tracks, popped him down, watched him wiggle a bit. And then when the train finally came, agonizingly slowly, and went over him, he exploded in a shower of little red pixels. (laughs) It was so satisfying. And such a completely unscripted moment of total sadism, completely the opposite of everything I've been doing with Marston the whole way through. But at this point, I was so angry at Ross. It was actually an achievement for doing that with a with, with a, a woman. If you woman, kidnap a yeah. woman, yeah, tie her to the track. Really? You the, yeah, you get the dastardly achievement. Big dastardly. <laughs> yeah. You should play some piano music. Oh, and yeah. if you go go into the movie theaters, those little thing, films that play about the the dangers of um, uh, women's rights, women's yeah. rights, and yeah, they were brilliant. They were they were so yeah, funny. Those were fantastic. The, I mean, basically, that was one of the few moments of of rock star winking a nod to all that Grand Theft Auto stuff. The newspapers were good as well. If you read some of the little articles in the newspaper about new scientific developments and things like that, they were funny. Anything else? No, other than the team behind Bully and Red Dead Redemption, for me, are the stars of Rockstar. It's, that's a really odd thing, isn't it? I, you know, for all the, the love that GTA series gets, I think, you know, there's this other team here that are producing the better games. Um, maybe I should really play yeah. Bully. I've maybe it's just because the content's more interesting and isn't doesn't just feel like the, a rehash of the same game over and over again with you know, different tweaks to it. There's there's a lot of parallels between Red Dead and Bully. I mean, even from things like you know the way you you, you navigate around the world. And obviously, you talked earlier about having a game where you don't kill people. Yeah, Bully's of course. You know. I, you know what? Sold. I will check that out. Bully is very good. The only thing is, you play on 360. Is it the um, broken one? No, no, no. It's very good. But just make sure you have something to do when it's loading, because the load times are horrific. Um, if you install it, it makes it a lot better, but it, but they're they're pretty horrendous. Okay, right. That's all from us this week. Catch you later. <laughs>